Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. As you might be able to hear from my voice, I'm beginning to get a cold, which is not ideal at this time of the year. In fact, it's not ideal at any time of the year. I don't want a cold in the summer or the winter, whether it's Christmas, my birthday, Engelbert Humperdinck's birthday, uh, Harvey Keitel's housewarming party. I don't want a cold at any of those events. Not that I'm invited to them, particularly not Harvey Keitel's housewarming, not after what happened at the the last one. I mean, that was uh, that was a difficult, difficult thing for everybody involved. And uh, look, you know, there are specialist companies. They can get the stains out of pretty much anything these days. You know, it might cost a few quid, but when you're Harvey Keitel, you know, you're a movie star. And you're in ads. You know, you, you can afford that kind of thing without taking umbrage, uh, one of your guests. But look, that's just my personal opinion, okay? I think the whole thing was just blown out of proportion. But but look, I, I appreciate people have different points of view on these kind of things. Now, let's never speak of this again. What we shall speak about is Arsenal, because Arsenal are playing Liverpool tonight. If you're listening to this on Friday, which I hope you are, because if you're not, it's completely out of date. Like normally the Arsecast has a shelf life of a good day and a half before before we play a game. But because it's a Friday night game, it's it's much shorter this time around. We're facing Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool. The Mug Smashers are coming to town and uh, we've got to deal with various things. We'll be talking uh, to Tim Stillman in a couple of minutes about what way we might set up for this game and uh, some of the questions about formation and team selection and all those things. And after that, we'll be hearing from the Mug Smasher himself. He'll be popping in uh, to talk about the game, what he expects, what he thinks of his team this season, what he thinks of Arsenal this season, and who knows? Who knows what might come up in that conversation Uh, But that's coming between now and the end of the show. Of course, it's a week in which we reached the semifinals of the Carabao Cup, beating West Ham 1-0 with that that goal from Danny Welbeck. Still so, so excited when I think about that goal. The heart rate, you know, just, I mean, incredible. Incredible. How can you waft your foot at the ball in that way and and miss and hit it in with your shin it's it's remarkable it's deliberate i'm sure of it as i said in the blog the other day it's like football performance art what is the most randomly obscure difficult contrived way that you can score a goal and i'm sure like pep guardiola when he sits down 
He does his analysis of teams. He sits there in his little office at night with the candle burning. Doesn't use a light, Pep. He's got a candle. He's got an old school reporter's notebook and a HB pencil because that's the kind of guy he is. And he sits there and he analyzes the opposition and he thinks, well, look, what if, if they do this in that formation, if I set my team up to do this and when they do that, my players can shift here and then they can ticky-tacka their way around there. And it's like, that's what he does. He works it all out in his crazy, bald, genius mind. That's what he does. And I think Danny Welbeck does exactly the same thing in his little office at the top of his house. He doesn't use a reporter's notebook or a HB pencil. Danny's a bit more with it. He's a bit more technologically advanced. He's got an iPad or an Android tablet of some kind. He's got a little drawing app where you don't need a pencil. You can just use your finger to draw on the screen. It's like a magic etch-a-sketch. And if you don't know what an Etch-A-Sketch is, oh, you missed out. It was basically the greatest toy of the 1970s. Up there with those kind of binocular things that you look through and you put a little Yokomi jig in it and you click the thing on the side and it would show you African safaris or space pictures and they looked real. They looked like they were in 3D kind of, well, maybe not 3D, but sort of like two and two thirds D. And that is what Danny Welbeck uses to work out which way he is going to score his next incredible, awesome, unbelievable, sensational, exhilarating, remarkable, brilliant goal for Arsenal Football Club. I, for one, look forward to finding out what that is and how he does it. Over to you, Danny. Right, let's get on with the show because we have a bit to talk about. And first up, as I said, we're going to chat Liverpool and more with Tim Stillman. Tim, festive greetings to you. And to you and to the listeners as well. Absolutely, to the listeners. That's the kind of thoughtful guy you are. Um, I I had completely forgotten about them. Oh, I'm joking. Um, Let's just start very quickly by talking about what happened midweek. Arsenal with the second string team, uh, as you would call it, I guess, reaching the semi-finals of the Carabao Cup. Not necessarily the greatest uh, game in terms of excitement mm. and, and incident uh, apart from obviously the brilliant Welbeck goal um, but but do Arsenal perhaps in some way have to take some credit for how shit West Ham were or were West Ham just <laughs> really shit? I, I kind of think it was a bit of both so for the first 60 minutes or so I, I just think I, I was a little bit surprised actually I thought it might before the game I thought it might be quite entertaining because you kind of get tend to get two types of League Cup game. Uh, You tend to get like the crazy ones because Mm. um, everyone plays disjointed teams and frankly no one really cares that much about it. And then you get the really, really mundane ones because everyone plays really disjointed teams. And actually I thought this might be the former because basically I didn't think West Ham would care enough about the game to kind of park the bus and play defensively I, I thought they might be not massively open but a little bit more open mm. um, because nobody wants extra time particularly at this point of the year so I, I thought they might be you know maybe cautious but a, a little bit more um, liberal in their approach to attacking play which they just weren't basically so mm. really I thought they were just pretty terrible and then they just bought Diaprosacco and Andy Carroll on um, and yeah, the tactic became pretty obvious from there. And from and from that point, I think Arsenal deserves some credit because it was quite obvious what West Ham were going to going to try and do. 
And uh, I think we dealt with it pretty well, actually. I thought that um, Callum Chambers in particular was nice and aggressive mm. uh, with Andy Carroll. And it, it didn't really bring West Ham any joy whatsoever. And I think what we did quite well was kept uh, the defensive line nice and high so that when the ball did come into Andy Carroll, he was about 20 yards from goal and couldn't do anything. So I think defensively we, we earn a little bit of credit for that side of it. But yeah. Not a huge amount, to be honest. I, I really, I think neither team hugely cared about the game, but West Ham probably cared about it a little bit less than we did. That means we cared more. So yes. let's look at it from that point of view. <laughs> we cared about it slightly more than they did. Just in terms, very quickly, of the semi-final. I know it's next year, but same kind of team, same same vibe against Chelsea. Or when you get to a semi-final, do you have to maybe think of it a bit more seriously? I. I personally, I would go for the same kind of team. I would probably, particularly because the first leg's away, I might consider putting some of the big guns on the bench. But to be honest, I kind of tend to think it's so congested at that time of year and a lot will depend on, you know, whether Rams is back, for instance, because that will dictate whether we can drop someone like Iwobi or Wilshere back into the team or if Giroud's back. If he's not, then we might have to be a bit careful but to be honest, I, I, I kind of tend to think that this year in particular, um, I, I kind of drifted away from this idea that the Champions League, League means that I think this year it really does because of the size of the rebuilding job we've got in the summer. And, and I just kind of think, mm. to be honest, um, if, if we win the semi-final, we're just going to play Man City in the final, um, which probably won't go well for us it won't go go well for anyone that plays them quite frankly yeah although maybe you know that'll be champions league time and their eye might come off of it but and i also think having won a couple of cup competitions in the last few years i don't our need is as as grave this time perhaps if we were still in uh, the trophy drought i might think yeah let's let's get this over the line but to be honest having won the fa cup last year and a few times now it's kind of it would be nice to yeah. win it but it's not it's not the be-all and end-all. And let's face it, it's not really going to satisfy the supporters at this stage or, or some of the players who are considering their features. So sure. I'd go with the same team, to be honest. All right. Well, look, trophy's a trophy. The manager will have to weigh that up as and when the, the time comes. And, uh, you know, what you don't want to do is get get a you know a pounding. I think I remember like a 5-0 mm. from Chelsea in the, in the yep. League Cup a few years back at Highbury. And look, it didn't have a drastic effect on the club or its future or its potential or anything like that. But it still was an unpleasant experience. And yeah. so, you know, he'll, he'll bear that in mind, I'm sure. One of the things that was interesting about the team on uh, Wednesday, Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday night, thank you very much, lost track of the days, uh, it was the fact that uh, Sayed Kolasinac played at left mm. back. Um, how do you view this one in terms of the way that he's being used? We know he had a bit of a hip injury. I mean, is it possible that Maitland-Niles being used at left-back is because Kolasinac needed some time out of the team and this was a way of getting him back in there? Or was it because perhaps his form had, uh, had been uh, a little bit off, his passing stats were all over the place? Uh, he'd looked not necessarily suspect, but, but wasn't maybe contributing as well as he had been previously. Yeah, I think it's probably a mixture of all of those things. But I think, I mean, first of all, Kolasinac, I don't think has ever really been a left fullback. He's much more in the kind of left wing back. And I think he played a fair bit in midfield as well. So I I think he's much more of that ilk. Mm. And when we went back to the back four, I I think probably, I mean, I'm I'm 
quite surprised it wasn't Monreal that that just slotted back in there. But yeah. I, I don't think he's really seen as a left back. And so I think a lot of the team selection at the moment, it, it's down to a few things. But um, I kind of Kalasinac is turning the ball over quite a lot. And we have another player at the moment that's turning the ball over <laughs> quite a lot. And I, I don't think it's a massive coincidence that all of a sudden, you know, Maitland-Niles, a nice passing midfielder, has gone in at left back. And we've got Wilshire and Awobi and Ozil in the midfield all at the same time. It's, it, all, it looks to me like, um, you know, Wenger made a point about Alexis dropping back too deep. And now we've like packed the team out with all these guys that are actually quite good passing midfielders. And it almost looks to me like, um, you know, that bit in Forrest Gump where <laughs> Forrest Gump's running to the end line and they have to tell him to stop. Yeah. Um, <laughs> to stop running. It's, it's almost like they've put up like a, like a little velvet rope um, for Alexis Sanchez, <laughs> like don't drop back here anymore. Look, look at all these guys yeah, we've yeah, got yeah. here who can pass the ball to you. Don't worry about it. Get yeah a bit further the pitch. So I think there's a bit of that going on as well. But with with Kalasinac, I, I think it's more the fact that he's just giving the ball up quite a lot and quite cheaply. Yeah, um, that's that's the main problem for him. So on that, then, given that we're playing Liverpool tonight well to, you know not tonight while we're recording but tonight while mm. people are listening I'll try and make it sound you know like live radio or something but um, we're, we're going to have to figure out what way we're going to approach that because if you go to a back three he's going to use Monreal in a back three he could use Maitland-Niles mm. I mean is it too much to ask a 20 year old midfielder to play left back or left wing back against a player who's got 20 odd goal or 20 goals I think this season he's probably been the best player in the Premier League uh, or does he go with Kalasinak who is a bit more naturally defensively minded but potentially perhaps a bit looser in possession and when you lose possession in your own half of the pitch as we've seen a lot this season with Arsenal mm. you get punished and we get punished a lot for for mistakes on the ball in our own half so it's it's going to be very interesting to see what way he approaches this yeah I I, I mean there's quite a few little subplots going on with the formation um, I, I think I mean, I think the fact that he left Maitland-Niles out completely on Tuesday night and gave Kalasinac the full 90 minutes and it could have gone to extra time as well, um, that suggests to me that Kalasinac is not going to play mm. um, and that Maitland-Niles is at least in very serious contention. Whether whether we do the back three or the back four, that's the really interesting thing because the move to the to the back four again, I think that's because of two main factors. One is Aaron Ramsey coming out. Yeah. Um, and Aaron Ramsey is a guy who has so much energy, he can kind of play as a forward and a midfielder at the same time. And none of our other central midfielders can do that. They've all got different qualities. Um, and probably, you know, we decided to drop Wilshire in there and physically he he can't do I mean, most players can't do that, but Wilshire at this stage can't do that. Yeah. So he needs a little bit of minding. So I think there's some of that going on. I think the fact that Mustafi's come out as well because... I think he only really trusts two players to play that middle pin, as it were, in the back three. And that's Mustafi and Mertesacker. And I think Mertesacker now, um, I wouldn't be too surprised if he doesn't make another Arsenal appearance. Um, yeah. Quite frankly, I, I think that Wenger's kind of done with him as a player at this point. So when Mustafi comes out, it's kind of, well, I haven't really got a guy who can go into the middle of that back three now. I've lost Ramsey, so... I, th I think some of that's due to the back four. So the fact that Mustafi is available makes it really interesting yeah. because 
then you've got Mustafi, Moni all available at the same time. And it kind of makes you wonder, yeah. surely he's not going to drop one of those. Surely all three of those are going to play. Yeah, I mean, um, do, I mean, it but, feels to me a bit like he's going back to what he feels most comfortable with, and he's on the record yeah. a few times of saying he feels more comfortable with a back four and and having that extra person in midfield. I think it was quite interesting when he talked about going to a back four. He talked about how it increases your attacking potential because you put that yeah. that that player further forward, which is true. But you can also put that player at the base of your midfield, for example, where yeah. he's not necessarily there uh, to boost your attack uh, and is still there to do a, a defensive job. Um, yeah. But he doesn't necessarily see it's like, oh, another winger or something, you know, or another yeah, attacking yeah. midfielder. I mean, per- personally, I wouldn't mind seeing um, Maitland-Niles come into the midfield alongside Xhaka. Same, same, I th- yeah. I think um, what some of the things that Wenger said about Maitland-Niles, I think are, are very, very interesting where he's talked up his kind of defensive capability and he said he's got great recovery pace um, and he's great one-on-one um, which which are great qualities for a fullback they're also by the way great qualities for a defensive midfielder um, and two where two qualities he's highlighted that Granit Xhaka really really lacks as well um, but he, he does seem to really be talking him up as a fullback um, yeah. with, with those kind of two qualities in mind and if he's looking for someone to face up Mo Salah then, you know, someone who's good one-on-one and has good recovery pace, those seem like two pretty good qualities to have to try and deal with him. So, I mean, the fact that Niles wasn't involved at all on Tuesday pretty much tells you he's going to play, I think. And having played left-back the last two games, um, I I think that's what he's going to do. Uh, That's, you know, that's brave. Some might use a different word than brave. Um, but look, you know, it wouldn't be the first time. It it feels like a lot to ask of of a young guy, you know, to uh, to do a job on uh, an attack that that has just been so potent. And and you know, he is he's doing all right, you know, at left wing back and at left back playing there in the back four. But you know, you do wonder how how much has he got going on around him in terms of the coaching, in terms of, mm. you know, the players outside him, are they talking to him, helping him through games? You know, you think of when Ashley Cole first started, he had Tony Adams basically teaching him on the pitch where to be and, and how to uh, how to, uh, to play in that position. I don't necessarily think that, as much as I like him, Nacho Monreal is that kind of natural educator on no. the pitch. And, uh yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see um, see what he does there. The the front three, then I guess he's going to stick with that as well. Obviously, Giroud's mm. out injured, so there's no temptation to to do something there. But Lacazette, Ozil, and uh, Alexis Sanchez, if it clicks, it's got the potential to cause Liverpool a lot of problems, defensive problems. Mm. If it clicks, we've seen it click, for example, at Everton. And it worked really well. The following game, I think, against Swansea, not so much. So mm. they haven't really found any consistency between them yet. They haven't, but I think they've been really disrupted as well. Um, it's not very often. I, I'm not sure how many times they've had um, a couple of games together, but effectively our two best performances this season have been Everton and Spurs. And uh, they, they, st- they, all three of those started. Mm both of those games and in many respects um, Spurs are one of the more analogous teams to Liverpool in the league so maybe that game is a bit of a blueprint I, I still think for my money the biggest upside for Arsenal in the second half of the season is just getting that partnership going between those three 
um, and getting them playing together as often as possible, you know, not substituting players and just, yep. just giving them time together because it's been so disrupted. And, you know, Arsenal are, are in a real shootout for the top four. And, uh, you know, the, the Liverpool game is, is a massive, massive part of that. And you saw what happened last year. You know, we missed it by a point, having lost to Liverpool twice. Yeah, exactly. And that that's that's how crucial it was last year. And you look at Liverpool are doing things. I think Liverpool are quite similar team to Arsenal in many respects. But what they do is they have three or four really good attacking players and they all have a really good partnership as well, just trading on that. They're just going, do you know what? These are our four best players. Let's just get them playing together as often as possible and let's just try and blow teams away. Mm. And I, I kind of think that's Arsenal's best um, best chance, really, because I don't see that, you know, I, I don't see the midfield improving much beyond Ramsey and Xhaka yeah. um, unless Jack Wilshere can really put something together. I don't really see the defence suddenly massively improving I, I think our biggest area where we can potentially improve is you know getting Alexis back into form keeping Ozil going and really really integrating Lacazette because he's been very up and down if we can get 10% more from Alexis and Lacazette um, and maybe we can get more from the both of them then I think that's our best chance mm. this season Speaking of Alexis, there's a lot of talk mm. about him. People are speculating wildly over his future. There's talk about you know Paris Saint-Germain in January and all that kind of stuff. Um, he's obviously a guy who's not in good form, and people are putting mm. it down to various things, uh, like the fact he wanted to leave last summer, that he doesn't care or he doesn't want to play for the club anymore. Uh, you know, he's not putting in the, the effort, etc., etc., Mm. Um, I'm interested in your view on that. I mean, personally, it looks to me like Alexis Sanchez is a guy who perhaps has been affected by the fact that, uh, A, he wanted to leave, was told he wouldn't be allowed to leave, then right at the death was told, yes, you can go, and then told, mm. no, you can't. So that would fuck your head. That would wreck your head anyway. Yeah, but, yeah. but on top of that, you know, here's a guy who arrived to Arsenal in 2014 after a World Cup. A long season at Barcelona, a World Cup, a long season at Arsenal, Copa America. Another long season at Arsenal, mm. another Copa America. Another long season at Arsenal, Confederations <laughs> Cup. And now he's into another. I mean, at 29 years of age, perhaps he is a guy who is beginning to feel the rigors of what he's put his body through for the mm. last four, five, six seasons. Relentless football all the time, played in a high-energy way, uh, it, it knackers you. You you can see yep. how knackered he is uh, every time he comes off the pitch because he's that kind of a player. It's just such a physical effort. Um, it's not to say he you know he runs more than other players, but there's just like this guttural physical effort in everything that mm. he does. And it may be just a case that a he's out of form and b he's he's beginning to slow down just a little bit. Yeah, maybe. I, I mean, I think all the stuff about him not trying is is rubbish. Um, to be honest, I think Adrian Clark did a, a bit a good bit on it in the breakdown of the Newcastle game. He highlighted, you know, Alexis blocking shots in the last ten minutes of the game, uh, and I, I thought he was much better against Newcastle actually. I, I, I and you know, there, I think there could be some truth to him slowing down. For, so, for example, I, I'm quite happy with the idea of him going to the end of his contract because he's 29. And like you say, the way he plays, I mean, I, I tend to think he'll probably fall off a cliff. 
And I think there's a decent argument to say it makes better economic sense for Arsenal to juice every last drop out of him and lose him on a free rather than sign him up to a four-year contract on 300 grand a week. Because I think in a year or two, um, he might fall off a bit of a cliff physically. Um, It's quite annoying that Chile haven't qualified for the World Cup because when I was thinking that last summer, I was thinking that Chile would qualify and I thought, another World Cup um, will we'll probably just do him in and he won't be much use to City. Um, th- that might change a little bit. But I, you know, I, I tend to think a lot of these things are, are kind of driven by narrative, a little, bit, um, a little bit by people's desire to... So I think he's, he, he's, he's unquestionably not in good form, but he's still producing something in pretty much every single game. Yeah. So he made the goal against Manchester United. I know it was a penalty against Burnley, scored against Spurs. Um, He made the goal against Southampton eventually, but he still made it. He still makes something happen in pretty much every single game. I think my annoyance with him is just like drop it. It's it's the same as Arsene Wenger's, that he's dropping so deep. But I wonder if that's, you know, a bit of a consequence man midfield that he feels he needs to be there a little bit more. He feels the need to drop into those areas. A, because maybe he doesn't trust all of the players around him, but also because... You know, there's basically really only Xhaka there because Ramsey likes to likes to go forward, mm. and and you know there is a bit of space there um, for him. So, I, I tend I'd, I'd like to see him much higher up the pitch because I still think in the penalty area he's he's uh, he's really really good. And you know, when you look through this Arsenal team, there aren't that many goals in it, or or rather, there aren't that many regular goal scorers. Yeah. If you go through the squad, who would you really trust to score a goal? Yeah. Lacazette, Sanchez, probably Giroud. Yeah. He's on the bench. If he was playing, maybe Theo Walcott. But so you know, you've got four players that you think I think they could get into double figures for a season, but two of them don't play. And you know, even Ramsey and Ozil don't score enough. No, um, I agree, yeah. For for my money, for the amount of time they both you know, for for how important they are for our actual attacking game, and they both are, and they both contribute, um, particularly with assists. But both of them don't score enough. Iwobi doesn't score enough yet. Welbeck, Welbeck doesn't, doesn't score yeah. enough. You know, we we don't actually have that many guys that you think with ten minutes to go in a game. Yeah, I think he might be able to do something, and it's it's such a precious commodity because Sanchez, even in for his, by his standards miserable form mm. can still do that and I wouldn't mind betting on him scoring on Friday <laughs> well look I, I hope that's the case I mean I think the other thing that strikes me when you talk about that is you know people who say maybe you could cash in on him in January and, and send him on his way mm. but given the way Arsenal are playing at this moment in time we're kind of reliant on individualism to get yep. us goals it's yep. generally not great passing moves or intricate team play. I mean, we can do it and it happens, but it doesn't happen with any great frequency. And we don't tend to turn enough of our possession into chances without somebody doing something remarkable. And he's one of the only guys in the team who can do that. So as frustrating as he is, he's he's still got an upside for me. And unless... Unless we go out and uh, replace him in January, which I don't think we can do with the with the players on the market in January, yeah. I, I'm with you. Just keep him till the end of his contract. I don't think he'll. I don't think he'll phone it in. Really. 
No, no. I mean, I, I think um, he'll score, like, if he, you know, assuming he stays to the end of the season, maybe another 10 Premier League goals mm-hmm. um, in half a season. Where else are we going to get that? And I, I kind of get the point that, you know, we've got a big rebuilding job on and all of these big players that are either getting old or leaving, we're not getting a penny for any of them, um, such as the way we've managed our squad. Um but, I mean, for me, the the real... First of all, yeah, you've got to replace the goals and the assists, and that's really not easy at any time. But for me, the, the simple equation is, what's worth more money uh, or what's worth more to you? Um, selling Alexis for 30 or 40 million or getting into the Champions League and getting that money anyway. Um, obviously, there's no guarantee that if yeah. we keep Alexis, we'll qualify, but I think we've got a much better chance with him than without him. So... I think if we keep him, we've got a much better chance of making that money anyway. And it will be far easier to replace him and other players that are going with the Champions League as a carrot. That's why it's so important to qualify this year. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think as well, when you start looking towards the more competitive Europa League games as well, uh, mm-hmm. Teams like Napoli, teams like Dortmund, teams like uh, uh, Leon. Uh, who's the other one? Atletico Madrid, of course. Yeah, uh, would much rather play an Arsenal without Alexis Sanchez than an Arsenal yeah. uh, with Alexis Sanchez. I, I keep saying to people who are like, "Oh, drop him, drop him," and and I'm like, "So who are you going to put in instead? Welbeck? Who like who who are you backing? Uh, let's say we're in the Europa League semi-final, second leg." Um, th- this really might come back to haunt me, um, <laughs> but who, who are you backing to score the winner in, you know, away at Atletico Madrid, Alexis or Iwobi or Welbeck? Yeah. I know where my money's going. Yeah, yeah, me too. All right, well, look, Tim, we'll leave it there. Let's hope he can uh, find a bit of form uh, against Liverpool. That would be a, a nice Christmas present to us all. Uh, have a great one, you and yours, and we'll uh, chat to you again soon. Cheers, pleasure as always. Thanks to Tim. You can find him on Twitter at Stilberto. That is at Stilberto. And, of course, his column every Thursday on arsblog.com. This week, it's about the rise of Reese Nelson, Ainsley Maitland, Niles, Joe Willock, those players who've got a run out in the uh, Europa League and the Carabao Cup. It's well worth a read. Make sure you check it out on arsblog.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. 
All right, with me now, as is tradition, although it didn't happen earlier in the season and it worked out badly for Arsenal, this, of course, was the real reason why Liverpool won 4-0. Not, nothing to do with our uh, transfer inactivity or shambolic team selection. It was the fact that the mug smasher was not here. You weren't here for the pot. Well, where were you? What were you doing? Think back. Can you remember? Mm-mm. Was it August? It was August. No, I was away on holidays. Oh, okay. Well, that would explain it then. Yeah. Yeah. I had a very nice time. I'm sure you did. <laughs> Watching from afar as your team beat Arsenal 4-0 relatively easily. Yeah. And here we are again. Here we are again. Season's greetings. Season's greetings to you. And uh, how are you enjoying your season? Uh, it's It's been, I, I'd say, quite fun if I was looking at it from an objective point of view. Um, there have been some defensive issues, of course, but... Like what you're doing at the top end of the pitch is really quite fun. Yeah. Yeah, it's mostly uh, hugely entertaining, but um, yeah, the usual frustrations are there. Um, yeah, it's a roller coaster. I mean, I'd say it's more fun watching Liverpool as a neutral than it is as a Liverpool fan most of the time. Mm-hmm. Not most of the time. That seems unfair. So look, okay, well, let, let me put it like this to you. Um, Firmino and his amazing teeth. Yeah. He is literally like the shark from A Shark's Tale or Finding Nemo or one of those. Yeah. I wonder what people, non-Liverpool fans, think of Firmino. What do you think? Uh, I think he's quite good. Yeah. I, th- I think he's tremendous. I think he's quite good. Uh, and annoying, though. I can. He sort of annoys me a bit, but I, I see that he's quite good. his teeth or his football? It could be both. It could be both. Um, he's he's kind of relentless. Uh, yeah, he's amazing. He put so much pressure on so many people. Mm. Um, I think he scored against us in the 4-0. He could have done, I'm not sure. I'm going to look back at the goal scorers now. While Can we're anyone remember that far back? Well, you remember. You were on holidays having a nice time. The rest of us were not. Um, That's true. Okay, the goal scorers that day were Firmino, yes, Mane, Salah, and Daniel Sturridge. That's how bad Arsenal <laughs> were that day. Daniel Sturridge scored. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a damning indictment. It is a bit of your defense. It is. Yeah, uh, he's for me. No, I, I think he's got nine or ten goals so far. Um, lots of people are scoring lots of goals for us. It's mm. been kind of wonderful. Yeah, and defense has been reasonably good in the last number of weeks, hasn't it? You know, you haven't conceded too many. I know that that fragility is always there, yeah. much as it is with Arsenal. But I mean, yeah, we we you know, there's no denying we have super or massive structural problems from time to time. But I also think that Lovren is one of the most unlucky footballers in the world. Because other defenders make mistakes and uh, they don't always lead the goals. But every time he makes a mistake, it's a goal and it's humiliation. The, they call that the uh, Senderosization <laughs> of your career. That, yeah. that seemed to happen to Philippe Senderos. Like, oh, yeah? yeah? Yeah, every time he made any kind of mistake... We were ruthlessly punished for it, right? And he didn't wasn't doing anything like that other defenders haven't done in the past. And some of them get away with a lot of shit, bad tackles and you know bad decisions. But yeah, he he went he went a bit like that. Yeah, um, I mean, fair play to Lovren there because he's he's hauled off after half an hour. Was it against Spurs? Yeah. Um, and I mean, it's hard to come back from that type of humiliation. It is, in particular, the hardest part is not necessarily convincing your manager because your manager can see you on the training ground and knows, you know, your character and what kind of a player you are and perhaps what you're capable of. But when you get 
an incident like that and you are taken off, it's very hard to win back the fans because, you know, it was clear to see a lot of Liverpool fans on his back. And, that you know, that's the nature of football fans, um, uh, not just Liverpool fans. You see it for all clubs. Every time any player makes a mistake, he's the biggest cunt in the world. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he's obviously come back and if not answered all the questions, he's he's done well enough to keep his place. Yeah, he's put in some really good performances and I think 80, 80% of the time he's, he's a good player. It's just that 20% where things go insane. Mm. Um, yeah, uh, he he got I mean, he got some death threats. Um, well, that's bullshit though, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, but you I know. think that might have uh, engendered extra sympathy from the crowd. Well, you know, normal, decent people would not stand for that kind of thing. You know, that would, regardless of whether you think he's a good player or a bad player or whether he should be in the team or not, if you you read that he's been subjected to death threats from his own fans, it's like, those people can go fucking jump off a cliff. Yeah, some people are just fucking weirdos. Yeah, you see it sometimes... uh, uh, Aaron Ramsey gets a lot of it for Arsenal. Like um, when we posted stories last week, when Ramsey's out till January with three weeks uh, with a hamstring, you know, and everyone's like, "Good." Well, not everyone. Sorry, that's right. There's a, a sizable contingent of people who go, "Good." Uh, another number of people who say, "Well, I don't want to wish injury on a player, but um, you know, this could maybe rejig our midfield. We could get Jack Wilshire in there. And then there's other people who go, I hope he never plays again. I hope he breaks his legs again. The Welsh prick, etc., etc." Uh And it's like, what, why? What's wrong with you? Yeah, I don't, I don't get it. Why do, yeah, <coughs> fucking weirdos. Um, yeah, well, I mean, I hope they all die in their sleep. Those yeah. people. <laughs> so. That seems a bit kind. Yeah, but yeah, maybe it's best. Maybe it's I've no, best. actually, I've noticed this year I've become even more irrational <laughs> when uh, when my team is losing and I'm emotionally caught up in the game. Uh, okay. I, I for keep... people who don't have any context for this, like um, you're a man who has uh, gone through, I don't know how many, two dozen PlayStation controllers? Well, that's an exaggeration. Do you think? But a few. A few. More than a few, yeah. Mm. Um, yeah. And you are prone sometimes to to outbursts of invectives that <laughs> yeah. you you wouldn't necessarily stand over after the fact. That's fair to say. Yeah, things like that. Yeah, yeah. But I, I've been even disgusted <laughs> at myself this year. Um, but they're very brief outbursts, and immediately afterwards, I feel bad and shame. Some shame, yeah. Okay. During the Ireland Denmark match, actually, when Denmark destroyed us. Mm. Uh, I think I shouted, kick him in the face at one point when Ericsson was running down the wing. Okay. And it was really a joke. And for the people that were at the table with me, they kind of got that. But there was a table of Danish people who didn't (laughs) take it too kindly. Um, Yeah. And when you continued with that kind of, um, you know, uh, you were implying that people should commit acts of heinous violence on Christian Ericsson. I think you did it again. Is that not right? Maybe. Yeah. I think you told me this. And the guy was less than impressed the second time around. Yeah. Yeah, but then, you know, life goes on. Life goes on indeed, and here we are. Yeah, nobody did kick him in the face, so... No, not even James McLean. I mean, when you look at that team and and the capability of kicking somebody in the face, James McLean has that in spades. Like if there was someone in the Premier League that you said, if you had to choose someone to kick someone in the face, it would probably be him. Yeah, yeah, him or Shearer. Shearer, yes, of course. <laughs> He's retired now, though, so James McLean can take up that uh, that mantle. What are you making of uh, what Manchester City are doing um, 
in on the pitch first of all yeah it's amazing it's the joy to watch um so many of their players are just ridiculous it, it, true privilege to watch some of them do what they do i mean de bruyne goes without saying mm. but when he he might be off his game and sane is amazing uh you know there's always someone that just steps in and takes control sterling sterling Bit yeah sweet yeah fair play to him mm. um yeah, I don't really have any ill feeling. Mm. I did at the time, obviously, and yeah. I was irrational. Yeah, you probably said some things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, did you? Good. Yeah, did you listen to uh, Second Captains this week, the football show? I did. What What did you make of that? You know, obviously the which bit? The, the, okay, the global well, brand. Or the global the brand thing, rights? which I think is is an interesting way of looking at it. What City are trying to do at the City Football Group? Their vision for football, as Ken was talking about, was pretty horrendous. I mean, that in itself is a terrible thing for football. I think, but then you take into account the ownership, and everybody knows that the people who own uh, Man City, the people who own PSG, uh, are backed by this wealth and who have serious questions to answer about the way that they uh, live their lives in terms of how they treat other people, workers, human rights, all of those things. I mean, do we have to, as football fans, maintain some kind of distance between these people and ourselves for fear that it will just completely soil the, the game? Yeah, I mean, well, I, I don't feel the need to because I feel completely separated from it. I consume the the matches, but I don't. Why, why should I feel any guilt? No, I'm not saying you should, but I mean, if you people are connected to their football clubs, right? I mean, there was this outcry when Stan Kroenke had this uh, launched a game sports blood sports channel in the UK, right. and there was sort of uproar because people think, well, fuck that. I don't want to see some wanker shoot an elephant because he's got a gigantic elephant gun. This is not sport for me. And this man owns my football club. So in some way, it reflects on me as a fan of the club, right? So people are going to speak up to a certain extent. I suppose it's easier to speak up about shooting elephants than like um, workers, you know, falling to their deaths, building stadia, you know. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Where do you start with it? You know, it's a complex issue. Mm. Um, if you've been a fan of Manchester City your whole life and now the last two regimes have got questionable human rights records. Yeah. Um, do you stop supporting the team and you, you can oppose it but yeah. do you stop supporting your team I don't know I don't know what point I'm trying to make no that's fine it got a bit deep it got a bit deep so we should um, we should talk about something else uh, let me ask you let me ask you this given that it is coming up to Christmas if you could have a gift would you rather have a bottle of delicious whiskey that would never get empty or a button that could make Piers Morgan burp at any time and not just a sort of like like a Barney Um, I'll take the whiskey please sure yeah yeah you think the fun of the would wear off or do you not think you could like have a really good time with that I mean, if it was a button that caused Piers Morgan intense pain, then I'd probably choose that. <laughs> but um, if it's just going to make him burp, I'll, I'll take the whiskey. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. What do you want for Christmas, by the way? Um, I was thinking of getting you whiskey, if that's all, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah? 
Yeah, who would say no to that? Exactly. All right, um, Oxlade Chamberlain returns. Yeah. The return of the Ox. And I've noticed some uh, some people on Twitter um, have him lined up for dog's abuse. He, Feel that the way he left the club was um, less than classy. Well, maybe it was. You know, I don't think it was up there with the worst departures uh, from any club uh, certainly not at Arsenal. They've been much worse. I mean, I think the issue was he obviously knew he was going to go play for Liverpool. He knew he was going to be sold to Liverpool. Arsene Wenger knew he was going to sell him to Liverpool. And what he did that day, if I remember correctly, he played Oxlade Chamberlain at right wing back. And he played Hector Bellerin at left wing back and left the new signing, Said Kalasinak, on the bench. I think I'm right in saying that. And look at the team here. Yeah, that rings a bell, all right. Yeah, Kolasinac was on the bench, and yeah, that's right. Bellerin was at left wing back. So, I mean, the the issue for me isn't that Oxlade-Chamberlain left or that he wanted to leave or that he wouldn't sign a new deal or that he was always injured and, you know, what? none of that. I don't really care. He seemed like a nice enough guy, not a bad uh, player, 40 million quid. Yes, you'll take that. Yeah, it's a good deal. But the issue was picking him, and he didn't pick himself that day. No, and exactly, every yeah. every single Arsenal player played like a cunt at Anfield, not just Oxlade-Chamberlain. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, but he is going to get booed. Yeah. Because it's pantomime. Well, that's that's also true. And it'll be interesting to see how he reacts. He, uh, he had a bad start to his Liverpool career. Yeah. Every time he came on, we seemed to lose 4-0. <laughs> and he had one game, I can't remember which game it was, where he... Like just couldn't pass the ball to a man two yards away from mm. him, and he—you could see he was completely crushed. Yeah, he looked like a broken man. He does have games like that, actually. He's got that in his locker. Yeah, yeah, uh, he's been inconsistent. Yeah, but uh, he seems to have grown into the team a bit. Uh, played really well against Bournemouth, and has been having good cameos. Mm. Uh, is starting the odd game as part of Klopp's rotation. And yeah, he looks he looks a promising player, but it, it's the same old thing. You're still not 100% sure what he is. Yeah, I've got no idea. Still, yeah. like in, in all that time, he never nailed down a position. And maybe some of that is on Wenger for not doing it, but some of it's got to be on Oxlade-Chamberlain as well. Yeah. For making himself, uh, you know, there was never a period really in his Arsenal career where you went, right, he's got to play every week in that position, whether it was left wing or right wing or... You know, he had he had his best games probably in central midfield, but they were last chance desperation. He got no other way of, of, of picking a central midfield, Arsene Wenger. Yeah. So it's hard to know, isn't it, where exactly he fits. Yeah. Well, but he was, I mean, he was quite young and he was still kind of in his formative years while mm. he was being pushed around the pitch. So he is responsible up to a point, but it's not entirely on his shoulders. But mm. he's only 23. No, he's um, 24. He's 24, is he? Yeah. Right. I think he could be nearly 25, maybe. He's uh, he's playing well, and I particularly liked his uh, his post-match interview the other day when, I don't know if you saw that, when this guy's sports reporter asked Coutinho a fucking stupid question about whether he'd be leaving in January or not. Yeah. And uh, Oxford Chamberlain stepped in and said, come on. Yeah, he is very media, uh, media savvy. He's good at that. They used yeah. to get him to do a lot of the Arsenal stuff. You know, you know when we lose... And the player comes out and goes, you know, we let ourselves down. We really have to learn from this. 
You know, we've got to make sure those kind of mistakes don't happen again. You know, put this behind us, but, you know, just wait and uh, go again in the next game. He was that guy. But he was also good. Like, he was quite um, he was quite personable on the the internal uh, video stuff and that. So, yeah. you know, if the football doesn't work, a career in light entertainment <laughs> awaits. I'm pretty sure of it. Norwegian fairies with Johnny Logan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So, as ever, I'm going to ask you to make a prediction. It's a Friday night game. Good atmosphere, few beers after work. The Emirates should be quite loud. People up for it. Arsenal can't really defend. They also can't really score goals at the moment. But then we thought Arsenal were were toast before Tottenham came to town, and they they put in a performance. So true. Um, I think that we're gonna spank you. Yeah, yeah. I think it's gonna be one of them. I obviously I'll probably live to regret this. Mm. Um, normally, when we talk about this, you win three 0 Okay. Um, but it, it just looks that way at the moment. Okay. Well, I hope you're but wrong. There's always Lovren. And, and Ragnar Klavan is also an accident waiting to happen. And, and, you know, let's not forget Mignolet. Yeah. Yeah. He's been pretty solid lately. Yeah. But, you know, he's, he's got, got it in his luck. Yeah. 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 never on. leaves you. Uh, and your thoughts? My thoughts are I I am not necessarily that confident. I think you're probably going to win. I don't think it'll be a banking but I think you've got more goals in you than we can prevent and we don't have enough goals in us to counter that so I think there'll be goals I don't think we'll score enough so maybe maybe like 2-0 or 3-1 or something yeah That's I, think, I, think. I think we'll go 3 up and then you'll score a goal and we'll just turn into a team of 4 year olds cowering yeah and we'll hit the post to, 17 <laughs> times yeah that kind of thing. Anyway, regardless of what happens uh, in, in the game tomorrow night, I wish you a very happy Christmas. And to you. Yes, I'll probably see you, you know, on Christmas Day and all that. Yeah, I'd imagine so. Maybe before, before then. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, All right. Right, we'll catch you on the next one. Merry Christmas. Thanks to the Mug Smasher. Let's hope his prediction, and my prediction actually, is wrong. I'm not really feeling it about uh, the Liverpool game, I have to say. But that was true also. Before we played Spurs, I wasn't that confident. And maybe on our day, we know that when we have our days, we're capable of, of beating pretty much everybody. Not necessarily everybody, but pretty much everybody. And uh, Liverpool are a team I think that we could beat if we have one of those days. It's whether or not we have one of those days. The manager, what kind of team is he going to pick? Is he going to use Maitland-Niles at left back or left wing back? Is he going to play a back four or a back three? It's so hard to tell, and we're unpredictable. We're unpredictable on the pitch, and now we're not very predictable when it comes to team selection, something that we used to be. Maybe that's a good thing then. I don't know. Anyway, we'll see. Not long to wait now until uh, we find out whether or not Arsenal give us a nice Christmas present or just a big lump of coal in the end of our stockings. We'll uh, keep fingers crossed that we get the nice gift. That would be good. Uh, so that's that's it. That's it for the Arsecast until after Christmas at some point. I'm not quite sure when. We'll try and do something that fits in around the, uh, the Christmas schedule and uh, in between all the games. I would just like to say uh, that I hope everybody out there who celebrates Christmas has a great Christmas, a very happy and peaceful one with friends and family, lots of love. Thank you very much indeed for listening all this year. I know we've got a bit to go before the end of 2017, but I do appreciate it. Um, thanks for all the downloads, the subscriptions, the reviews on iTunes, all the feedback, all the tweets and Facebook comments and emails and everything else. Thanks so much indeed. I do my best to get back to all of those as much 
much as I can. Um, have a great one, and I will catch you on the far side. Until then, cheers, bye-bye. And, uh, of course, ho, ho, ho. "'Twas the night before Christmas when all through the house "'not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. "'The stockings were hung by the chimney with care "'in hopes that St. Nicholas soon would be there. "'The gooners were nestled all snug in their beds "'in a difficult season. Well, some required meds. "'Some glasses are half full, those people are brave. "'The others are empty, they rant and they rave.' A lack of consistency, that's what they cry. And look now at Sanchez, he won't even try. The board are all useless, they don't care how we feel. They can't even offer Jack Wilshire a deal. Sir Chips is a cad throwing out verbal beating to ladies and gents at the last general meeting. It's up in the air, it's all a bit wonky. And that is the fault of Stan fucking Cronky. Some backroom appointments are due to arrive. Maybe behind the scenes things are alive. The Spanish guy brings his executive footfall, but he's definitely not a director of football. Ivan Gazidis is yet to be seen. Nobody knows quite where he has been. It's all a bit odd, some might say a touch strange, probably refining his catalyst for change. On the pitch, a back three has become a back four. Results and performances we've all seen before. A midfield with players that still don't quite fit. But there's always the comfort that Spurs are still shit. Pep and his city are set for the title. That they lose a game once is increasingly vital. And the baldy that once cast away Ronaldinho is now making mincemeat of Jose Mourinho. And all the while, fans on whom clubs still rely don't know kickoff time because of BT and Sky. They call the shots now, making it so tough to forecast which time or which date or which hour they'll broadcast. But just round the corner, like a beacon that's shining, a non-injured player becomes like a new signing. To strengthen the squad, you can choose to spend money, but Stan wants a profit now, isn't that funny? The boss Arsene Wenger remains still in charge, despite the points gap growing ever more large. We might win a cup, finish fourth in the table. The foundations are strong, the Arsenal are stable. And yet here we are, things could be much worse. This could be the 71st to last verse. It's not, it's the end, and it's been a delight. Happy Christmas to all. And to all, a good night.
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.